0: You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Pay for performance. Dr. Bill McGuire deposed as CEO of United Healthcare for illegally dating stock options, walks away with $1.5 billion. My friends, that's pay for performance. Join me at the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Wachter. Dr. Wachter is Professor-in-Chief of the Division of Hospital Medicine and Associate Chairman of the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Today we are discussing pay for performance, or is it you get what you pay for? Dr. Wachter, how do you reconcile the huge payments to medical executives in the face of cuts in reimbursements to physicians? Or is profit just going to be the only performance measure that matters?
1: Well, Billy, there are multiple issues there. I think it seems to be unconscionable that anybody is making $1.5 billion from running a health care company. Because that money has to come from somewhere. The issue around paper performance is complicated, and, and, and I think we're moving into an era now where people believe that we have to use all the tools that we can find to improve the quality of care, and it's become fashionable to believe that the only way to do that is to pay doctors and hospitals more, if they practice higher quality medicine. My own personal belief is that may not have legs. It's certainly faddish. Everybody believes it's true. But the early evidence that is emerging is that pay performance may not work all that much better than simply reporting results and making them available to the public.
0: In the June 18th American Medical News, the lead story is senior access at risk if Medicare cuts doctor pay by 10%. If Medicare is going to cut pay by 10% this year and 40% as expected by the year 2015, and they're offering a 1% bonus to jump through the hoops, do you figure, as you said, this has many legs?
1: The issue of Medicare cutting the proposed cuts by 40%, I'm percent—you sympathetic to Medicare's predicament because the curves are really kind of scary and it will run out of money in the next 10 or so years if we don't do something. On the other hand, it seems to me politically inconceivable that they can cut and will cut physician pay by forty percent because as you say there will be certain doctors that choose not to play. And by and large, these will not be the doctors who are you know making a million dollars. These will be primary care physicians, internists, family physicians, pediatricians who right now we already have a shortage and it's just only going to grow. My guess is that's not going to happen because of political considerations. A 1% bonus is not enough to get anybody to pay any attention at all, particularly if playing in the pay for performance game involves jumping through a significant number of hoops. Most studies that look at the importance of bonusing, whether it's in healthcare or outside of healthcare, say that until you talk about bonuses of between 10 and 20%, it's very hard to get people's attention. And I think a 10 to 20% upside bonus in pay for performance is inconceivable because nobody's going to put new money into physician payment, and so you'd have to match that with a 10 to 20% cut to somebody, and that will just put too many doctors out of the Medicare business. So my guess is we're going to hear a lot of discussion about paper performance and how the train is out of the station and the horse is out of the barn. I think it's going to be a fad, and I think it's probably going to go go away. What will stay, undoubtedly, is a lot more public reporting of performance. And one of the things that we've seen in the last couple of years, which I think surprised a lot of folks, is that just the public reporting does seem to lead to significant amounts of improvements by doctors and hospitals. That's not yet because patients seem to be paying much attention to these rankings and changing the doctor they go to or the hospital they go to. I think it's mostly our own professional pride and maybe sense of embarrassment when we don't do well. Those are the two messages we've seen in the last couple of years, that pay performance doesn't seem to work as well as people thought, and that transparency in public reporting works better than people thought. And I think when you add all that together, we're going to get a lot more transparency, and I think ultimately we're not going to have all that much pay performance.
0: Would you explain a little bit more about the transparency model?
1: I can go on the web today and look up my own hospital and look at every hospital in San Francisco and see how we do in right now about 10 or 12 public reported measures of quality. They're pretty narrow right now. They're only for pneumonia and heart failure and heart attacks and a couple of surgical measures. And a lot of them, frankly, are a little bit dumb. They're kind of rote things. Did you give patients a pneumonia vaccine rather than How well did you take care of this very, very sick patient with pneumonia? But these are training wheels. This is what the system had to start with, kind of the easy stuff, to learn how to do this. So I can go on the web, and so can you, and so can our patients, and they can look at hospital performance. And just from those sort of measures being publicly reported, the evidence is pretty good that that hospitals are responding. Interestingly, I think they actually are engaged in local paper performance. So what happens, take my hospital, for example, what happens is because we want to do well, and we're not happy when we don't do well on these public measures. Internally, we provide bonuses to the doctors and the nurses if they perform better. So I, I think we actually will have local institutions and local medical groups engaged in, in bonusing and other strategies to try to improve people's performance and, and focus the mind. I just don't think it's likely to happen at the level of Medicare or United Healthcare or the big payers. Where this is going is right now, as I said, 10 or 12 measures mostly of hospital performance. But you can read the tea leaves. This is just the beginning. Ultimately, there will be far more measures of how patients do in neurosurgery and after their cataract surgery and after their strokes, a wider variety of illnesses being measured. The measures will not just be institutional and hospital. They will move to individual physician measures as well. They won't just be hospital. They'll be ambulatory. We'll look to see how often people have their diabetes well-controlled or their cholesterol well-controlled. And they will also move from what right now are mostly what are called process measures. Did you give a beta blocker? Did you give an aspirin for a patient with a heart attack? Well, we really don't care that much about those things. The reason we measure those is we're not really very good yet at measuring was the patient alive or dead a month later and and appropriately adjusting for how sick they were when they came in.
0: Jessica, pause for a moment to let our listeners know they are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and my guest today is Dr. Robert Wachter, Associate Chairman of the Department of Medicine, University of California, San Francisco. We have been discussing pay-for-performance and improving medical care of our patients.
1: Just finishing up, that all of these things are coming, and I think you can see the present incarnation of transparency, sort of, you know, a, a few measures mostly processes, what did we do, mostly around hospital care, as really just being the tip of the iceberg. And this will look very different in the next three to five years.
0: How are things like caring, compassion, empathy, hand-holding rewarded and measured?
1: of course, they're not at all yet. And therein lies a conundrum that you might say, well, they weren't rewarded 10 years ago either. But in many ways, this could be worse because as the system focuses like a laser on did you give the right medicine and did you give the flu vaccine, there's always the risk that we all play for the test. It will focus away from other things that are not being measured. And that's everything from empathy to you know providing high-quality end-of-life care to talking appropriately to the family members to making the right diagnosis in a complicated patient. We don't know how to measure that yet. So those are those are concerns that we all have. And the issue of empathy and kind of the softer side of medicine, there are systems that are measuring patient satisfaction. And hospitals, for example, now are being required by CMS and by the Joint Commission to survey patients after they left the hospital. And we're beginning to have some skin in that game. So to the extent that you believe that a patient or a family member telling you a month after hospitalization about their experience is one way of capturing whether the doctors or nurses demonstrated empathy and treated the patient appropriately, there is a chance, at least, that those things will be measured and will improve in the same way all of these other things are being improved by virtue of it being publicly reported.
0: One of the concerns that I've heard expressed is what in business they call forced ranking, that we're looking for structured incentives to achieve certain benchmarks, and once that's done, the bar is raised so that the bottom 10% or 20% is always cut out of the pot, so to speak. Do you have any concern about that?
1: Oh, sure. And in fact, it's one of the other structural challenges of, of paper performance. Sometimes when I speak about this, I'll ask an audience, who do we give the bonus to? Do you give it to the place that was 90th percentile and, and over a year stayed at 90th? Or do you give it to the plucky improver who started at 10th percentile and moved up to 40th and I ask people to raise their hands and, and you get equal numbers of hands being raised for those two options? So what has to happen? Of course, what has to happen is you take the, the baby and you make this solomonic decision and you cut the baby in half. What will happen, I think, is you will take in in those pay performance programs, you'll take what is already a fairly wimpy bonus because, as I said, nobody's putting new money into physician or hospital payment, so it'll have to come from the cuts to the non-performers. And now you're taking maybe a 5% bonus. Now you've got to cut it in half because it's not fair to not pay the terrific place or terrific doctor. And it's also not fair And it's actually counterproductive to not pay the place that started off poor but improved markedly. If they know they can't get paid unless they make it up to 90th percentile, they just won't try because they know they have no chance. It's a very tricky structural problem figuring out how to organize these programs. My guess is you're going to have to pay both, which dilutes the amount of dollars even more.
0: Discouraging trying sounds to be an unintended consequence. Are there other ones that you predict may come into play?
1: There are tremendous numbers. I think one of them we're already seeing, which is gaming. Their hospitals are now being ranked on, you know, did you do smoking cessation counseling? Well, there are a lot of people checking boxes, and I don't believe that many of them are doing the kinds of counseling that were envisioned. Anytime you're talking about something that is subtle and and, and involves human interactions and the way you get credit is by documenting it, I think you're setting yourself up for mischief. One of my favorite unintended consequences was one of the measures was door to antibiotics time for a patient with pneumonia made some sense. There was a little bit of research that said if you take 100 patients with pneumonia, the ones who got their antibiotics quickly within four hours tended to do better. Well, that's not the conundrum that the emergency medicine doctor faces when he or she sees a patient with shortness of breath and a cough. You know, the patient doesn't have pneumonia labeled on their forehead. And it sometimes takes a little bit of time to figure out what they have. Well, in the old days, you'd wait to figure that out before you gave the patient antibiotics. In the new days, if you're going to get dinged if you didn't give your antibiotics to the patient with pneumonia in the first four hours... You know, guess what happens at 3 hours and 58 minutes? The patient gets a slug of antibiotics, even if ultimately they were proven to have heart failure or a pulmonary embolism. And so there's a negative consequence that's not just gaming and not just distracting us from some things that may be more important. That's actually harmful, patients getting unnecessary antibiotics. And I think we're starting to see some of these things. I don't think you can completely prevent them. I'm kind of a believer in the the messiness of this and the organicness of this, but I think you had to start somewhere start reporting, see the unintended consequences, have your antennae out for them, and then just make the system better as it goes along. And on that particular one I just went through, it looks like the Joint Commission and CMS are going to change that particular requirement because they recognize that this was leading to unnecessary antibiotics.
0: I did read recently that giving emergency room physicians the right to send a patient directly to the catheterization lab may be a great improvement in the system. So it's a little of a twist on what you said about the door-to-floor or door-to-antibiotics, but there are certain areas where I think this may turn out to be useful.
1: Exactly. And door-to-antibiotics is a different issue than door-to-balloon time for a patient with a heart attack, where there it's quite clear that if I have a heart attack and I get to the ER, I really want somebody opening up my blocked vessel within 60 to 90 minutes. And what public reporting of that measure has done is gotten everybody to look at their system to try to figure
0: out how to do this. kind of goes along with the old principle first establish the diagnosis, then treat the patient. Exactly right. And I want to thank you very much, Dr. Wachter, for being my guest and having discussed not only pay for performance, but how we can find measures that will improve patient care and at the same time encourage physicians to practice a higher level of medicine. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, Send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.